I mean, but nobody has any debt to work here. It looks like they do math, right? So <laughs> that's, that's that's fake news. Okay, uh, I'm just gonna read a few poems here. Um, I've been writing these um, poems about UFO encounters for the past couple of years. I've been um, just reading and just like going insane, reading about people's UFO shit, and then I talking to people about UFO stuff, and it's just like, okay, I've just become that guy. But that's fine. I think you, I think poems are kind of a cool way to express some of this weird paranormal stuff anyway. So I'm gonna read this first poem is a. Uh, from a UFO encounter that was seen in 1554 in France, which is a long time ago, uh, and it was seen by Nostradamus. And what happened was this like entire group of people in this city in France saw this craft fly overhead, and Nostradamus is like, I gotta write a letter to the Duke and tell him about this. So I found this letter and it kind of turned it into a very rhyming poem. Uh, it's called um, Swinging Half Rainbow Over Immensum Fregorum. And this happened again in France in 1554. To the illustrious, high-born, and almighty Lord Claude, Duke of Tenda. On the 1st of February this year, my lord, according to reports received, a horrible, unearthly sight was seen above St. Shamas by the sea. A fire did come from east to west, a burning staff of radial flames, as though mid-forged by heavenly smiths, a glow within the starlit frame. Its tail did warp the sky for hours, the clouds became as glimmering coals. Then arcing through the light horizon, this iron snake, this stained glass scroll, did scatter shapes upon the verdure, each a glistening rueful eye. Perhaps this was a godly gesture or conjured from some devilish mind. Your subjects beheld this on the banks, my lord, ensorcelled by its charms. Such terror tongues cannot describe, nor faith secured in your gendarmes. I cannot say just what this means, my lord, though I predict we'll understand anon. And so I pray for your good health and cheer, your seer, Michel de Nostradamus. So that's Nostradamus writing about UFO. I use some of his words and then, you know, inserted my own to make it rhyme but let's get out of the rhyme area we don't need poems to rhyme fuck a rhyme it's beautiful but we don't need that uh this next one is more contemporary it's called uh this rosemary my prison and somebody uh called it alien pornography to me can i, can I just I think... jump in here can i just jump yeah. in here for a minute and say something sure. all right what's up <laughs> um i think that is beautiful rhyming because you're it's it's like it was written by a secular humanist, William Blake. As soon as I heard that, I was thinking of of if Blake replaced aliens with uh, with the Heavenly Father. Yes, yes, he, he would have nailed that. Wow, know? I really like that. I never thought of it as a Blake poem, but it's definitely got his hallucinatory quality. Hallucinatory and even the the rhyming, even yeah. the rhythms of the rhymes. Yeah. Well, thank you. Maybe I should not say fuck rhyming. Maybe yeah, I should don't say, say rhyming is good. Yeah, Rhyming's good. good. We're changing rhyming's the game. Good. Rhyming's good. Rhyming's you know, good. this next poem ends in a rhyme, so we'll stick with rhyme mode. So this is, like I said, someone called this um, alien pornography. It's not quite pornography, but it is erotic. He is still gone, and here she must remain, bare feet crossing the cold floor again to track the moon through frosted panes, the graying rosemary in the window box. An autumn gale as she catches her own eye in pallid glow, her sunken chin and heavy folds. How can she be so old so soon? 
She entertains no visitors tonight, not the ones she invites, just her mother's old friends and tepid tea spilled in careless drops on yellowed gowns. The antique clock striking like a hammer, pounding the nails in the coffin of her youth, where she lies with her one aching memory of the night she was wakened, the warm pull of a compulsion, drawn to the woods of the estate through the garden, porcelain light holding to her skin like milk, and he beckoned to her. He said her name, not with her mouth, but in her brain, said he knew her long and would know her more, and took her in his gray and slender arms and laid her like a doll among the foxgloves. Love is a kind of telepathy. Pale beneath the blaze hung the transparent foliage as he left in a flash. No one would ever believe her, she knew. He snapped her gentle heart in two, half remained in his four-fingered hand, the other on earth forever askew. So that's like a erotic alien poem. Because sometimes people will have like abduction experiences and they'll be like, yeah, I fucked an alien. It happened. And uh, that's just like part of the whole scenario. Um, I'll read a one. I'll read one more UFO poem, and then I'll read a U Icelandic translation. I just want to say that I'm grateful you didn't bring up anal probing and ass. <laughs> kudos, kudos for that. Yeah. yeah, you know that happens to people though too. Some people say they get that. Oh. That's a, there's a reason why that's a thing. So I don't know, but you're right. It didn't belong in that poem. That's where the soul Not, exists. <laughs> wait, what'd you say? That's where the soul exists. Is in the bottom. Yeah, that's what they're looking for up there for <laughs> sure. But it doesn't fall under the um, uh, category of erotic. Um, <laughs> here's one more. This one is called uh, For Granger Taylor. This is about a guy who lived in Canada. And um, I try to hew as close to the facts of his life as possible for this poem. Uh, but he's this guy who disappeared. That's really all I can tell you. Uh, so it's called Four Granger Taylor, and it happened in Canada in 1980. Your gym crack spacecraft wasn't ready for its maiden voyage, could barely hold the vessel of this gawky, shy human. From where did you get your knowledge? You left school to rebuild an old train, then a bulldozer, then a plane, and then some outer being slipped into your mind, a glimmering black injection of stars, speaking blueprints and escapes to Mars. One bolt-soaked night, you quietly taped to your parents' door a note. Not suicide, but terse goodbye, a look for me in the skies. So how did it really end? Dynamite strewing your bones across a mountainside, the pink paint peeling your truck to blue? Or had what you claimed come true? Did they take you on their gleaming ride? And is there a difference between the two? Big on N rhymes today. So I was just in Iceland um, a couple weeks ago for a month for a uh, artist residency where I was working on these poems. But while I was there, I was spending a lot of time in this library in this village and I found a book of Icelandic poetry and I was like, I want to know what this says. So I kind of started just word for word translating it. I don't speak Icelandic. Uh, and then I eventually translated the whole book. So I'm going to read a couple of those. Uh, there's only 16 poems, but, um, you know, I just used Google Translate and Wiktionary and ChatGPT and some locals and just kind of like clumsily made my own translations. So this one is called A Hall of Odin. Oh, and the poems are by um, Stefan Horthur Grimson, and they're from 1970 from his book called um, Rithen as Letni, 
which means uh, the gates of the flatland. Cool. So, so this one's called Hall of Odin. And I think it's kind of like metal. In the illusory hollow of noble and base crosswinds, the blueberry hall sits in a poisoned dream beneath the horse-drawn mountains. Now the hall holds gladness, the stench of decay in the air, a sweet acidic hum. Wooden horses gnaw their silver words. Much is queer outside its doors, ominous weather drowning out the mountain tongue. Through the ripped sail, a shadowy figure creeps. The blueberry hall rises into the clouds. The fjord is silent. No tongues speak the answers anymore. And I'll close with this really short one called a uh, Marrow Melt Valley. Rock and sky. No cairns point the way to the next knoll. In this desolate place, in the silence of invisible walls, kindled for you, a summer moon. Hunting ideas as prey, the night fog lifts from your brow. Eggs glow in the sunrise. You fade into the dawn behind the morning. Thank you. Oh, that was awesome. Cheers. Well, so you... So you don't know the language that much, but you still translate it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't know if that's, like, okay. Yeah, but, I think it is. You know, like, not that we should model ourselves off of Ezra Pound, because Lord knows that he's he had some issues, but he did do that thing where he's like, I can translate Chinese poems. I don't speak Chinese, but fuck it. I'm, I've got the heart of a poet, and I'm going to translate some Chinese poems. And they're kind of cool translations, even though they're really inaccurate. So... Maybe there's a tradition of poets translating things that, from a language they don't actually speak. I, I don't know. I yeah, feel there, like there, 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 there is. They call them and 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 they they um, what the what academia calls them is uh, not translations but interpretations if they don't know the language. So that's that that's how they get around it. Yeah, I want to say one thing about you. It's so interesting because you brought up uh, Notre Dame, and then you had a. Your poems about aliens, most of them are rooted in the past. There's like did a 426 year timeline <laughs> from 1554 to 1980, then you stopped off in 1970. You know, so yes. so one of the unique things about this of the poems you had, I think uh, I think you read six, like three of them, three of them for sure. I picked up were were aliens from the past, and that's an interesting concept for I don't know for yeah, it's an interesting concept for. Uh, instead of people, everybody's seeing aliens right now, go back. Go yes. back to the 20th century, go back to the 16th century, go back, you know. Yes, it goes way back to the more you like scratch at the surface of the subject, you're like, oh, there's like arguably stuff from like thousands of years ago that seems related to it. But then you're like, am I watching too much ancient aliens on History Channel? Am I becoming <laughs> a total, is my brain melting because I'm getting too into the subject? So you got to kind of like balance out your insanity. <laughs> but it does go further back than you would maybe initially surmise. There's like a lot of interesting stories from the past about that stuff. Yeah, that, that'd be a nice book collection. I mean, it's a nice collection to have it. I'm almost book. there. It's almost a whole collection. I've got, uh, I just the, uh, working on it. The 1970 guy was translating Old Norse, Norse, right? No, he was he was not translating Old Norse. He was writing just originally, he's an Icelandic man. He And Icelandic 
as a language is really closely related to Old Norse. Um, it, it's really a unique language in the way that it's been um, uh, preserved for like, like an Icelandic person today can read an Icelandic poem from like 1200 years ago or whatever, or like a wow. thousand years ago. So yeah. Yeah. Right. So a lot of that stuff hasn't been translated, but it's got a very strong literary culture in Iceland. So it's interesting stuff. But, but you did mention Odin in there, right? The god. Yes. Yeah. He did write about that. Okay, kind that's of stuff. why I thought it was yes. yeah, I did too. the sacred text. Yeah. Yeah. He's just kind of using some of the pagan like imagery and stuff. Um, but um, I think, yeah, some of that stuff is just like he, he's trying to access like the Icelandic culture.